Well, that's one tangible practice that Jesus gave us to remember. The second one is, uh, is uh, baptism. And part of Jesus' final command to his followers, right before he ascended back to heaven, he said, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And so people have been getting baptized for 2,000 years. And this morning, we're going to celebrate that here. And what baptism is, is an expression in a public way of somebody who has put their trust in Jesus and become his follower. Sometimes uh, people wonder if you have to be baptized in order to be saved. According to the Bible, a person is saved by putting their trust in Jesus to forgive their sins and to be the leader of their life. We're saved as a free gift of grace through faith in Christ. Nothing that we can do to earn it, and that includes being baptized. So we aren't baptized to become a Christ follower, but because we follow Jesus, we want to do what he tells us, and one of the things he tells us to do is to be baptized. It symbolizes the cleansing that we receive through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross that we just spent some time remembering. That's part of why water gets used. Uh, it's a symbol of cleansing. So what happens when you get baptized is an expression of the fact that in Jesus, you, you get a new story. Because everybody's got a story. And everybody's got a story to tell. In fact, when I was growing up, the church that I uh, attended, we had Sunday night service as well as Sunday morning service. Plus we had Wednesday night service. Plus we had youth group. And you guys thought coming one hour a week was a lot. Uh, but we attended like at least, you know, three or four times a week and, uh, and plus other special events. But as part of our Sunday night service, we had something that was really cool. It was called, uh, we called it the witness stand. And all it was basically is that the, the elders, uh, our deacons would kind of go around and, and talk to some people, get some people uh, one one week, uh, once a week, they would stand up and they would share their story. This this is how I came to know Jesus, or this is what Jesus has been doing in my life recently, or this is how my story got turned around in Jesus. And they would just share what we would call uh, their their testimony. They would testify to what um, uh, Jesus had done in their life. That'd be actually pretty cool for us to do sometime. Uh, just to have people go around and share all the stories that we have of how you, we met Jesus. Uh, it's one of the things I like about our, our welcome to the family time is, is I get to hear all the stories from different folks. Um, one of the ways to think about baptism is that it is a way that we tell our story, but not with words, but symbolically. We illustrate the way that God has turned our story around at the cross because the cross is where God turns stories around. Now, Paul, the Apostle Paul, actually talks about baptism in his first letter to the church in Corinth. And here's how he talks about it. And he uses a real interesting image. He says, I, I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors, uh, the people that we read about in the Old Testament, uh, they were under the cloud and that, that they passed through the sea. They were all baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Now, you might not know this, but baptism back in Moses' day wasn't practiced the way that we do it in the church today. Uh, but Paul is using this as kind of a picture or an image. Uh, when he talks about Israel getting baptized with Moses in the cloud and in the sea, he's referring to a real famous story in the Old Testament. For God, for God's people, Israel, the primary central narrative in their history was always the story of their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. A rabbi named Michael Goldberg says the, for the exodus was for Israel what the crucifixion would become for, for Christianity. 
is the master story, or the primary narrative, where we get our bearings for all the rest of Scripture and history and life. It's all kind of reflected in that. For Israel, it was a time they were in bondage. And it was a cruel, oppressive kind of thing. It was a genocidal bondage at, sometimes to Egypt. And that, that lasted for 400 years. And they cried out to God, and God heard, and God cared. And God raised up a leader named Moses, and God intervened for little Israel by bringing the, the plagues against Egypt. And the mighty Pharaoh's will was broken, and he let God's people go. God was leading Israel in quite a unique way. We're told in Exodus chapter 13 that by day the Lord went ahead of them in the cloud to guide them on their way. It was a, a pillar of cloud. But in it was the presence somehow of the omniscient, all-wise, all-knowing God. So the first people, very first people to have their information stored in the cloud uh, was not Amazon or Google or Al Gore. It was 3,000 years ago, little Israel. God in the cloud led them to the edge of the Red Sea and they camped out by the water. Now, they started off this journey, as many of us do in life, with great courage. Exodus 14.8 says, The Israelites were marching out boldly away from Pharaoh. But Pharaoh changed his mind about letting these people go. And so in the very next verse, the Israelites see Pharaoh and his armies coming after them, and they're trapped now between Pharaoh on one side and the Red Sea on the other. And God, uh, Moses tells them God's plan is for them to march into the sea. And we wonder how bold they're going to be now. The text says, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and they, there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Of course, they didn't say that while they were in Egypt. Uh, they, they were like praying that God uh, would use Moses to bring them out of there. They hadn't bargained for this, though. It looked like their story was going to be over before it even started. And then Moses says these amazing words to the people. It says, Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And it may be that privately Moses felt just as panicked as everybody else because God immediately says these words to Moses. He says, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Well, like, move on where, Lord? Well, into the sea. You know, hold up your staff. I'll part the waters. It's going to be okay. Charlton Heston will do it in the movie someday. It'll look really cool. So, you know, just go ahead. So going down to the water for them looked like certain death. And in a way it was. They were dying to their old identity. They were going to have to die to their fears. They were going to have to die to an old way of life. And here's why Paul tells us this story. When they would come out of the water, they would come out into something new. Because with God, your story is never over. They trust God and they step into the sea. And God parted the waters with a strong wind and they passed through the sea with a wall of water on their left and a wall of water on their right. And God defeated their enemies. Now, this is important for us to understand uh, the meaning that Paul gives to baptism and to this picture. When they came out of the water, they came up into a new reality. See, when they went down into the water, they were slaves. When they came up out of the water, they were free. 
When they went down into the water, they were in mortal danger. When they came up out of the water, they were safe in God's hands. When they went down into the water, they lived just like everybody else in the ancient world. When they came up out of the water, it was to go to Mount Sinai and to receive the covenant of the God who loves them. And they had a new way to live. And they would change the world. When they went down into the water, they were terrified. When they came up out of the water, they were literally dancing. The very next chapter in Scripture is thought to be the first hymn ever sung to God. A woman prophet named Miriam, Moses' sister, helped to write it and to dance to it. And they all sang, The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. When the people of Israel went down into the water, they didn't have a God story. I mean, they had heard about Abraham and Sarah. They heard about Joseph and how God had delivered him from slavery and prison. But that was a long time ago. That was somebody else's story. When they came up out of the water, now they had a story of their own. And God was no longer just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was their God. When they went down into the water, they felt like victims, like slaves. When they came up out of the water, they had a new identity. very important part of of baptism is, is that although baptism is very personal, it's not a private thing. It's a public thing. Is something that God's people all went through together. That's why we do this gathered as a church family, because these individuals that are going to be baptized this morning, they're identifying with other Christ followers. With, they have a new identity, not just as followers of Jesus, but as members of the people of God and the body of Christ. There's a wonderful picture of this in the Exodus story. In the book of Exodus, in the very first chapter, the Pharaoh decides he wants to decrease Israel's population. There's just too many of them, and he feels threatened, and they're just going to grow too fast and gain too much power. So it says in Exodus uh, 1.15, the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shifra and Puah, if you see, if you're delivering a little baby boy and you see the baby is a boy, kill him. But they don't do it. And these two women named Shifra and Pua, in an act of extraordinary heroism, they defy the king to keep these babies safe. They risk their own lives. And when Pharaoh calls them in to get them into trouble, they say, hey, well, you know, it's the Hebrew midwomen, these uh, Hebrew women, they just have their babies way too fast. You know, we can't get there in time. Now, there's a very telling detail in that story. According to the author of Exodus, anybody know the name of the particular pharaoh who wanted uh, the little Hebrew boys killed? We're never told. Text never says. This is quite deliberate. See, in the hierarchy of Egypt, pharaoh's at the top. Everybody knows pharaoh's name. In that same hierarchy, the midwives are at the bottom. Like they are servants to the slave women of Israel. Nobody would know their names. Plus, their names aren't even that great. I'm like, you know, we, we name children Bible names. Like, nobody ever uses Pua. You know, hey, meet baby Pua. You know, like, uh, yeah, it never happens. But in God's kingdom, they're heroes. God's saying, like, well, Pharaoh who? You know, the people that matter in this story are right here, Shifra and Pua. Their names are going in my book, not, not his. This is an early indicator and it's quite deliberate on, part, on the part of the writer of the book of Exodus of what would later be called uh, by some folks the law of inversion of the kingdom of God. The first shall be last, and the humble will be exalted, and the little servant will be the greatest of all. See, when you get baptized, your name goes in the book. 
And that's better than having your name in the cloud. Don't be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you. The Lord will fight for you. That's the promise. The Lord will fight for you. And over the centuries, that promise would give people extraordinary courage for God-powered turnaround stories. There's a pastor and civil rights leader, Andrew Young, and he writes about how it was on Easter Sunday morning, 1964, when a group of people planned a march from New Pilgrim Baptist Church to the Birmingham City Jail, where Martin Luther King Jr. was incarcerated for protesting segregation and racism. This movement was so overwhelmingly Christian, it was literally scheduled for after church. That's what, that's what time they said they would do the march, after church. And this is what Andrew Young writes. He says, by the time church ended, some 5,000 people had gathered in their best Sunday clothes. For those of you under 30, that used to be a thing, Sunday best clothes, right? The marchers set out in joy. Suddenly, they saw people, they saw police, fire engines, and firemen with hoses in front of them blocking their path. Commissioner Bull Connor, who had used such brutal tactics, even against children marching for civil rights, ordered them to turn around. 5,000 people, frightened people, got down on their knees to pray. Suddenly, Reverend Charles Billups, one of the oldest leaders of the march, hollered, The Lord is with this movement. Off your knees. We're going on. Bull Connor was furious. He yelled, Stop him! Stop him! This is what Andrew Young writes. But none of the police moved a muscle. Even the police dogs that had been growling and straining at their leashes were now perfectly calm. I saw one fireman, tears in his eyes, just let the hose drop at his feet. Our people marched right between the red fire trucks, singing an old gospel lament, I want Jesus to walk with me. Bull Connor's policemen had refused to arrest us, his firemen had refused to hose us, and his dogs had refused to bite us. I'll never forget one old woman who became ecstatic when she marched through the barricades and shouted, Great God Almighty done part of the Red Sea one more time. Once more, when God's people got to the end of the march, something had changed. They were a little different. Freedom was a little stronger. Hate was a little weaker. Whatever your problem is, whatever your Pharaoh is, whatever might discourage you, these are your words. Fear not. The Lord will be with you. You have only to be still. And as you stand, no matter what you face, you need to know that we never stand alone. When Jesus came, they tried to stop him with threats and fear. And they put him in jail and they beat him with whips and crowned him with thorns. And when he stood firm, they hung him on a cross. What they did not know was that the cross was the place where God turned stories around. And on the third day, the father said to the son, hey, son, get up. This is not the end of your story. And Jesus came up out of his grave in victory. And sometimes, and when somebody gets baptized, their story becomes part of Jesus' story. Paul writes this about the act of baptism. He says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. When you say yes to him, when you go down into the water, it is a picture of you saying, God, my old life 
my old sin, my burdens, my, my old hopes and dreams, I'm surrendering all of that to you so that I can be raised up with Jesus. And then your story is part of Jesus' story. You and Moses and Shifra and Pua and the Corinthians and Dr. King and millions of others. What you're going to see this morning are some young people saying by being baptized, now my story is part of Jesus' story, which is great and glorious. And whatever it might look like on this earth and whatever I might face, whatever my challenges, whatever my problems, I am dying to my old way of life. My sins have been nailed to that cross. Pharaoh's going down. I've got a new hope now. I've been raised up to Jesus' life. Because everybody has a story. And sometimes it's a real dramatic uh, story, a real sudden change. Sometimes it's a very long journey. Sometimes from the outside it might look like uh, it's pretty slow or quiet. But every human being fights a battle, spiritual battle that nobody else can see. And Jesus said that every human being who turns to God is the object of celebration, that the angels throw a party and heaven is filled with joy. So anytime you see someone get baptized, you cheer them on like crazy because they've come to the cross and the cross is where stories get turned around. Now, it's not just forgiveness that's being pictured in baptism. It's surrender. You're not only forgiven, you declare yourself to be a follower. You're dying to your old self and your old way of life and surrendering to the lordship of King Jesus. And that's God's invitation to all of us. And it's not a one-and-done type of a deal. It's an everyday kind of a thing that we need to surrender daily. So before we head down to the water, we're going to sing this old hymn. And whether or not you're going in the water this morning or if you've been in before, I'd invite you to make this your prayer. All to Jesus, I surrender. I surrender all. Let's stand as we sing this together.